Good morning, my name is Krista and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Uber fourth quarter earnings conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during that time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. And if you would like to withdraw your question, again, press star one. We ask that you limit yourself to one question and one follow-up and then requeue for any additional questions. Thank you. I would now like to turn the conference over to Alex Wong, Head of Investor Relations. Alex, you may begin your conference. Thank you, Krista. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to Uber's fourth quarter and full year 2023 earnings presentation. On the call today, we have Uber CEO, Dara Khatrashahi, and CFO, Prashant Mahendra Raja. During today's call, we'll present both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures. Additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP measures, are included in the press release, supplemental slides, and our filings with the SEC, each of which is posted to investor.uber.com. Certain statements in this presentation and on this call are forward-looking statements. You should not place undue reliance on forward-looking statements. Actual results may differ materially from these forward-looking statements, and we do not undertake any obligation to update any forward-looking statements we make today, except as required by law. For more information about factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from forward-looking statements, please refer to the press release we issued today, as well as risks and uncertainties described in our most recent Form 10-K and in other filings made with the SEC. We published our quarterly earnings press release, prepared remarks, and supplemental slides to our investor relations website earlier today, and we ask you to review those documents if you haven't already. We open the call to questions following brief opening remarks from Dara and Prashant. With that, let me hand it over to Dara. Thanks, Alex. Q4 was a standout quarter to cap off a standout year. Trip growth of 24%, year-on-year outpaced gross bookings growth for the fourth quarter in a row, powered by strong audience trends and record engagement as consumer activity remained healthy all around the world. At the same time, adjusted EBITDA of $1.3 billion exceeded our Q4 outlook with GAAP operating income of $652 million. Looking back, 2023 was an inflection point for Uber, providing, proving that we can continue to generate strong, profitable growth at scale. These results in our Q1 outlook demonstrate that we're starting 2024 with tremendous momentum and reliable execution. I'm energized by the pace of innovation I'm seeing across the company, and I'm looking forward to another exciting year ahead. And now, here's Prashant. Thank you, Dara. And let me add my welcome to our Q4 earnings call. As a reminder, we will be hosting an investor update next week on Wednesday, February 14th, to present an updated view of our strategy and capital allocation plans. As such, we kindly ask that you keep your questions today focused on our fourth quarter and full year 2023 results. And with that, let's open the call to questions. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw that question, again, press star one, and please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Your first question comes from the line of Doug Amuth from JP Morgan. Please go ahead. 
Thanks so much for taking the question. Um, as you come off of 2023, where you've grown bookings 20% and achieved positive gap operating income and net income and driven meaningful free cash flow, can you just talk more about your top priorities as you enter 24? How will you shift Uber to become more of an everyday product? And what are some of the key strategic investment areas that you're most focused on? Thanks. Yeah, great question, Doug. So I think for us, the good news is that the strategy uh, remains largely the same. Um, if I were to broaden in terms of uh, mobility, uh, first and foremost, it's about making certain that our supply position, uh, the number of drivers that we have on the road and the engagement of those drivers continues to be healthy because that is what drives overall marketplace health and you can never forget about the basics. Um, the number of drivers we have on the platform was up 30% year-on-year, uh, with engagement average engagement also being up 10%. So we we still drivers are the heart of the business, and as long as we've got uh, drivers who are earning as they are, for example, in the U.S., $33 per utilized hour, uh, and staying on the platform for longer, um, that the platform stays healthy. We have more people co uh, coming in. At the same time, we're augmenting that base platform with a number of new initiatives that we've got in place, newer products. This, this is our U4B enterprise business that's actually showing nice strength early in the year, uh, reserve uh, for folks who are willing to pay more for better reliability for those travel locations, uh, for example, low-cost product uh, as well, and then taxis. Uh, and two-wheelers and three-wheelers. So you've got a base business that's growing at fast rates, um, typically gaining category position against uh, many competitors, and then augmented by some of these uh, faster-growing products. In delivery, it's very similar, which is adding more restaurants, making sure the reliability of services is excellent. Um, you've seen that business actually accelerate its growth uh, from 16% top line to 17%. Uh, while significantly increasing margins as well. And that's augmented by new services such as grocery, which is now 7 billion run rate uh, and growing at very healthy rates. And then advertising, which we told you would be a billion dollar run rate business next year, uh, which is gonna surpass that. We're already at a 900 million plus run rate uh, just in Q4 of this year. So again, strong based business, augmented by these new exciting businesses that add both top line and margin as well. And then all of it is going to be undergirded by the power of the platform. Uh, first and foremost, that's their technology platform. All of the algos we have that are matching drivers to riders or matching couriers to go pick up something at a grocery store and deliver it home on time. Uh, so it's a technical platform that's doing all the matching routing driven by AI. And then other factors like our membership program, which is up, up uh, uh, to 19 million members. And then, of course, cross-selling across the platform, which continues to increase um, Uber uh, users who buy uh, across platform. You know, let's say if they take an UberX and order an Uber Eats, uh, will on average order three times more than those who don't. So I think as we look forward, it's more of the same and increasing the scale of each of these efforts because, uh, as you can see, we're growing faster than competition on a global basis. We continue to improve margins. Uh, and now that we're profitable, um, you know, that, that creates other possibilities uh, as well. Um, so I think that's what we're, you know, kind of, if next year's the same as this year, 
uh, just with bigger numbers, I'll be happy. Great. Thank you, Dara. You're welcome. Your next question comes from the line of Eric Sheridan from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Thanks so much for taking the question. Maybe following up on, on Doug's broader question and, and spreading it out around the globe, curious if there were any geographic areas you wanted to call out exiting 24 and looking into 24, where you see elements of either improved market share position or elements of driving the utility around Uber One and, and linking more mobility activity with more delivery activity that we should keep an eye on as we move deeper into 2024. Thanks so much. Yeah, Eric, what, what I'll start with is actually delivery. And um, what, what we're quite happy to see is that, for example, our delivery business, which, again, accelerated gross bookings growth this year, grew category position in 10 out of its top 10 markets. Uh, so the growth that you see from us in, in, with delivery is substantially in excess of the category. Uh, it's partially and, and mostly the great execution of, of the team in terms of the basics, which is adding more selection, bringing in more consumers, bringing in more couriers, making sure that the reliability of the service improves and making sure that um, errors improve, uh, improve as well. Uh, you know, you don't get your food uh, uh, late. But then again, it is that power of the platform, right, which is our Uber Eats business is getting significant free traffic. Uh, from rides or close to free traffic uh, uh, from rides. And then, of course, the membership program continues to be a larger and larger portion of our business. Now about 45% of delivery gross bookings are coming from membership, and that just mathematically drives frequency. Uh, and if you look at delivery, audience is up, frequency is up, basket size is up as well. So the growth comes, it's very broad growth, and and more of the growth this year is coming from transactional growth versus pricing growth relative to last year. Last year was more pricing growth than transaction growth. Now it's uh, the, other way, uh, the other way around. Um, and, and that really is broad. In mobility, uh, I would say standouts uh, were Latin America and uh, APAC. Um, again, we had very strong, broad growth around the world. Uh, but we've seen very strong growth, particularly in the Asia Pacific. You know, the Japanese uh, market is super strong. Korea is starting to come up. Uh, Australia remains very strong. Taiwan, et cetera. Um, so all of these markets are strong. I think it's augmented by uh, uh, by taxis. Um, India for us is uh, super strong, and that we are gaining category position versus our big competitor there, and we think we're the larger player. Um, making a lot of progress with two-wheelers. And then Latin America, it's really, it's really two-wheelers moto. It's a lower-cost product that is the hero. Um, it's a newer product. Trip growth there is incredibly healthy. So Latin American trip growth was, um, was absolutely standout this season. Thank you. Uh, next question, you bet. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Nowak from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good morning, guys. I, I have two, uh, one for Dara, one for Prashant. Dara, I mean, you, you've talked a lot over the 2023 period about sort of increasing frequency and increasing engagement on the, on the overall platform. Can you just talk to us about sort of operationally and from an investment perspective, what are sort of the key areas you need to invest in to continue to turn more mouths into wows and wows and dows, et cetera? How, how do you do that operationally? 
And then the second one, um, Prashant, you've had a little time, you know, on top of the hood and now sort of under the hood. Just sort of talk to us about maybe one or two of the things that you think are most surprising and underappreciated internally versus externally now that you've sort of gotten to know the company a little better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I like your, your phraseology there. Listen, I, I think in terms of frequency, um, I know there's a bunch of sexy stuff that people talk about, but the most important factor in terms of frequency is being a service that is reliable uh, and predictable every single day for every single occasion. So for mobility, it's uh, making sure that ETAs are, are at um, constructive levels, uh, making sure that surge uh, typically is less than, let's say, 20% of, of sessions, and both of those are moving in the right direction, and especially in Q1, they're moving in the right direction. Uh, and then for delivery, uh, just uh, taking out any errors in terms of, you know, you're missing a drink, et cetera, making sure that if we make a delivery promise of 25 minutes, we deliver in 25 minutes. So I think those are the basics. Now, the advantage or one of the advantages that we have is the platform. Uh, which is as we see our users engage with more than one product, those users tend to come back more often and tend to stick around for longer. So we have now a team that is essentially using AI algorithms, and there are a number of promotions that we, that we have lined up. So if you're going to work, if we know that you're commuting to work uh, for breakfast, we may have a promotion for you to pick up a coffee uh, at Starbucks. If you're coming home from work and we know it's around 6.30 and that's when you order dinner, we may say, why don't you order a pizza? It'll be home for your family by the time uh, you get there. All of these occasions, they're different occasions that we can target the right person with the right offer at the right price. All of that now is algorithmically driven. Um, and it's pretty powerful because it's gone from, you know, I'd say like programming, a third of the time, let's throw this, this uh, uh, promotion, another, a third of the time, let's throw another promotion. As it turns algorithmic, as it becomes much more targeted and personalized, the power of the platform increases. And that generally just mathematically moves frequency the right direction. The last point that I would make is, again, membership too, is it's just a tailwind for us for frequency. You know, we've got 19 million members significantly on a year-on-year basis. Uh, members buy more, they stay longer, and just mathematically, uh, members will account for a higher percentage of gross bookings, which means a higher percentage of customers are going to stick around for longer and, and transact more frequently. Prashant, you want to take the second question? Yeah, great, great. Uh, good morning, Brian, and, and thank you for, for giving me a softball to start with. So, um, if I if I think about kind of my observations over the last uh, three months now uh, uh, under the hood, using your expression, I would say what I found most uh, surprising uh, is the just the level of excitement and energy within the organization in the focus they have on building products for users, for earners, and for partners. Um, it's a very mission-driven company. I know that's an expression you often hear um, a lot of tech companies use, but uh, I, I'm really experiencing it uh, within, within the four walls of Uber. I'll say the other learning that uh, has been very, uh, very encouraging for someone coming in is just the internal conviction and plans around driving profitable growth. And uh, there's, a, there's a tremendous runway uh, that this organization has over the next couple of years to continue focusing not just on growth, but also making sure that that growth comes with significant profit leverage. 
Your next question comes from the line of Ross Sandler from Barclays. Please go ahead. Uh, great. <clears throat> Dara, the mobility incremental margin bounced back pretty nicely to 10%. Uh, you guys said on the last quarter this would move around a bit. So how do we think about the outlook on that going forward? And as these new areas like, you know, reserve, which has higher margin, but uh, taxi or shared rides has lower margin, as those come in and the mix starts to change, how do we think about mobility incrementals uh, going forward? Thanks a lot. Yeah, good morning, Ross. Uh, I'm going to take that question. Uh, so before before I jump into incremental margins, maybe I'll just take a minute to uh, to talk about as we go forward, we'd like uh, we'd like to focus really on EBIT dollar growth. Uh, given the power of the platform, the leverage that we're generating off of our revenue growth, we're we're pretty excited about the absolute EBIT dollar growth we're going to be able to generate over the coming over the coming quarters. And we think that's a better metric for us because it allows us to really share with uh, share with you a better proxy for uh, our ability to generate cash flow. Um, having said that, uh, I do want to talk specifically to incremental margin. So um, you're, you're referring to that, that in, um, in Q4, incremental margins uh, grew sequentially for the mobility business. Um, and as a reminder, that can bounce around a little bit uh, based on uh, mix and also based on uh, the investment decisions that we make. So I wouldn't put too much focus on continued expansion of incremental margins. We feel very comfortable that uh, that the overall incremental margins uh, for for Uber are going to continue to be something that is going to pull the overall profitability of the company up. Um, but remember that we will always be making investments in areas uh, that, uh, such as our growth bets that you referred to, uh, whether it be uh, um, hailables or in new geographies uh, that are going to that are going to put some pressure on that, but overall look for uh, continued growth in EBITDA margins, uh, but probably a little less uh, acceleration in incremental margins. Your next question comes from the line of Justin Post from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks. I'll ask a couple of things we get a ton of questions on. Uh, first, just on mobility pricing and, and ability to drive growth. Where, where do you think you are on, on that, mostly for UberX, and, and how do you see pricing in 24? And, and do you see that maybe as a headwind for growth or, or any, any issues with that? And then second, on insurance, uh, can you just confirm one month is in higher rates or in the March guidance and how you're thinking about maybe the step up in 2Q, if, if anything we need to think about? Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in, in terms of mobility pricing, Justin, you know, mobility pricing has been relatively flat on a year-on-year -year basis, really for the full year this year. Uh, and kind of when you go back to pre-COVID levels, you know, we're up now in the 20s, but compared to like a, a bunch of other products, we're probably, you know, I think the cost of Uber has increased similarly to many other products. So we actively work um, to make sure our supply position is, is in the right position. Uh, we actively work to make sure our own cost um, uh, levers, et cetera, uh, are getting more efficient so that we can keep price at, you know, the prices that they're at now uh, and drive the majority of our growth in terms of transactional growth. And, and you know, you can see that on the overall numbers, which is overall company growing transactions 24% um, and gross bookings growing 
uh, uh, 21% uh, on a constant currency basis. So uh, we're actively looking to keep a lid on price, so to speak. And then what we're, what we're doing in terms of um, targeting different demographics is there's a certain segment of folks who are willing to pay a premium for higher reliability or uh, nicer cars in black or reserve. Uh, and then, of course, for the more cost-conscious uh, uh, consumer, uh, we're offering Uber X Share uh, and and some of the other products as well, two wheelers or three wheelers in in some of the developing countries. Um, so we don't see price at this point as a uh, factor that is restricting growth. And and if anything, you uh, you can see the growth of the company continues to be very very strong. We think growing faster than the category. And then on top of this base, of course, you have all of the new products that we're building, uh, you know, U4B and Hailables, et cetera. That portfolio is now is at an 11 billion run rate, and it's growing 80% on a year-on-year basis. So we think the growth vectors and uh, that we've got in place are, are strong, uh, and we look forward to continuing to, you know, grow the top line at um, very healthy levels uh, this coming year while delivering margins at the same time. Prashant, do you want to talk insurance? Uh, not really, but I'll take that question, yes. <laughs> so um, as a reminder, uh, maybe we'll say that, uh, that um, remember that we, we provide uh, automotive liability insurance on behalf of our drivers. So um, it's a benefit we provide to them, and in turn, we build that into our pricing. Certainly, this is a, 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 a space that has been facing significant cost pressure. You're going to be seeing similar uh, inputs from or outputs from both the personal and the commercial auto insurance companies. As a, as a data point, we'd say we'd point you to the latest uh, uh, CPI print, which had uh, motor vehicle insurance up 20% year over year. So in this uh, more inflationary environment, um, we are taking a number of steps to actively manage our costs. First, I'd, I'd call out that, uh, that we can use uh, the data that we have access to uh, in the technology uh, environment to really drive safety technology. And that includes things that we've talked about before, like reducing left turns, giving alerts to drivers when they're approaching uh, challenging intersections, enabling both audio and video recording uh, during trips so that there can be evidence of liability, which can be helpful to us. In addition, we have an excellent risk management program. We are uh, we have a good partnership with uh, with our carriers, uh, and we maintain these relationships over a longer term. But uh, what is helpful there as well is we have our own captive insurance company, and that allows us to retain more risk where necessary, particularly in harder insurance pricing markets when it could be for a particular geography or locality. And then lastly, uh, on the regulatory side, uh, we've got a really strong policy team that is working on a reform on reforms state by state. So we've seen some good progress, uh, positive legislation in Florida, in Virginia and Georgia, working on some other states as well. And we're also active in a number of states, including California. And you might have seen you might have seen some activity on this in the last couple of weeks, where we see an opportunity to really educate the new legislatures. Given there's a fairly high level of turnover that's expected at the state level, um, about 40 or so seats that are going to open up, and uh, we've we've indicated that we're willing to put a, as much as 30 million dollars into our Uber Innovation Pack, which is really focused on helping to uh, identify uh, business-friendly legislature. Uh, for the for the California state, 
wrapping up uh, at the kind of at the overall 2024 level, um, I would say that the insurance cost per trip for the U.S. that's certainly going to be a headwind. We've got these uh, multiple cost mitigation efforts that we're going to continue to factor. And really, Justin, to your question, all of that is priced into the guide. So uh, you should expect all that to be reflected in the outlook we're giving. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Mahani from Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Let me ask two questions, please. On the uh, advertising revenue growth, it's um, you know been better than maybe we all thought you know a year or two ago. What do you think have been the biggest uh, um, kind of growth surprises? What have what, what parts of the you know, all the all advertising platforms that you have have done the best uh, for you? And then in terms of Uber One, you've got. Uh, whatever, 19 million users, uh, you know, it's a really good number. I, I know it's a product that kind of like Prime over time can have more, not more, not just bells and whistles, but more really great features and functionality added to it. Can you just give a sense of what some of those new in incremental features and functionality would be that, you know, consumers would really appreciate? Thank you. Absolutely. So, uh, Mark, in terms of ads, we're we're very happy with the progress on, on ads. I, I'd say that we're not surprised because um, we've got a terrific team uh, both on the sales side and, and the tech side, and they have been executing uh, what they promised. Um, now, the biggest area of strength on advertising are, are still the smaller businesses that advertise on our platforms. These are your neighborhood restaurant who wants to get uh, increase their business by 20% um, and puts in a certain dollar amount into uh, the Uber ad system that we bid on for them. You know, these advertisers on average are, are earning eight times their spend. Uh, we got about 550,000 uh, businesses now advertising on our platform. It's up 75%. And, and that is the majority of our advertising revenue. And it's about uh, bringing on more advertisers, uh, advertisers onto the platform or getting them to increase spend. If you're making, you know, eight times your investment, well, increase your spend from 200 bucks a week to 300 bucks a week to $400 a week. That is absolutely something that we're focused on. And frankly, it's in the interest of our advertisers based on the return on ad sales that, that they're seeing. Some of the faster growing areas of, advertise, uh, of advertising are with enterprise uh, clients and CPG clients. Enterprise advertisers, sometimes they look for additional bells and whistles. They want, They may want to target a certain demographic. They want, may want to target a certain day part, for example. One of our big enterprise consumers wanted to target breakfast, uh, as an example. Or they may want to only bring on new customers who haven't eaten at that establishment before. So we're building out a much more mature tool set for those kinds of advertisers, more reporting, uh, more reporting on incrementality of the ad spend as well. And then for CPG companies, especially in the grocery part of our business, which is one of the fastest growing segments of the business, we built out, for example, sponsored items for grocery. These uh, CPGs, you know, they are uh, advertising in Albertsons. They're advertising in in the um, in, in grocery shelves uh, at this uh, right now. They advertise on Instacart. So essentially, we're rebuilding those kinds of products to get them in front of an audience, an Uber Eats audience that's not only global, but is growing very, very quickly. So any CPG advertiser who wants a growing audience and a, and a, and a global growing audience should get in front of our audience. And then, of course, there's our journey ads, which is advertising on mobile. 
Um, you know, these are people who are going out, who are impressionable, who uh, may see kind of higher level branded, higher CPM brand advertising uh, in the Uber app as well. Um, that part of the business continues to grow, and that team had, uh, frankly, a terrific uh, Q4. Um, when you look at membership, which we're very excited about, you know, membership really had a bit of sprint at the end of the year. Um, we had kind of holiday promos on free trials. We moved a bunch of our Uber uh, One members to annual memberships that reduces uh, kind of the turnover or increases the retention uh, of the members uh, of the members. So right now, I'd say the focus of the team has been um, launching in more countries. We're in 25 countries, making sure that features like annual membership upsell that uh, increase retention um, are available all over all over the world. Um, next year, you will see some bells and whistles. I would say more on the mobility front um, in terms of surprising and delighting the customer if it's an upsell or if you're, uh, let's say, um, in an airport. Um, but I want to save those surprises and delights uh, for when we're ready to uh, announce them. But stay tuned. And maybe just to, to wrap that up, just put some numbers out there so that you have them. Um... Again, 19 million members uh, across the uh, the 25 countries that are mentioned. And again, I want to go back to the data he uh, pointed out earlier. About 45% of our delivery gross bookings is coming from members. So uh, it is definitely driving the frequency, which is elemental to the growth algorithm. All right, next, next question. Your next question comes from the line of Ron Josie from City. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks for taking the question. Maybe two deeper dive specific ones, Dara and Prasant. I wanted to uh, maybe sticking with the delivery side on grocery and retail. I think I saw gross bookings are now on a $7 billion run rate. Maybe Dara, talk to, about, talk to us about the progress of grocery now that I think the infrastructure is built out and, and how you uh, think about integrating grocery within delivery and food going forward. And, and given the conversations around frequency as, as a big opportunity to, to improve overall usage going forward. would love to get an update on Uber Teens. I think we saw that is now expanding to newer markets. But here in the States, talk to us about demand for Uber Teens and, and sort of where that might go. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. As far as grocery and retail uh, goes, we're very happy with the, uh, with the progress there. Like you said, $7 billion of gross bookings. Um, and really, the focus that we have now on grocery and retail is upsell um, to the Uber Eats uh, uh, customer. You know, our grocery and retail business is now fully native. Um, we have sunset the corner shop app all over the world. Uh, uh, we certainly haven't sunset that team. That team is now uh, actually leading many parts of our grocery and retail uh, um, uh, business. Uh, but the upsell is about um, showing at the right occasions uh, grocery to an eater. So, for example, after you've completed your order, uh, maybe you want a bottle of wine uh, from a nearby liquor store or you want some dessert, et cetera. It's those occasions that can introduce in a very natural way the Uber Eats customer to grocery and retail. Uh, and then what we'll look to do after that is promote, you know, uh, there's a supermarket around the corner. Uh, do you want to do a top-up shop or do you want to do your weekly shop uh, on that supermarket uh, as well. So um, it's a lot of basic tackling, including getting more uh, retailers on board. Um, and steadily, we're increasing the number of eaters 
who also order grocery and retail, it's now up to 14%. Um, and and that is a percentage that you uh, will continue to see uh, move up uh, throughout the year. Uh, so that's essentially what we're doing. Again, we we expect big things from grocery and retail. Um, Prashant, you want to talk about kind of the investment philosophy there, sure. and then we'll yeah. get to um, over team. Yeah, Ron, I think when when we think about uh, the uh, the unit economics for groceries, uh, we uh, we feel pretty good about the direction we're headed and how this will grow uh, into a profitable business. Um, a couple of the levers that we have access to is clearly the power of the platform allows us to have a efficiency at the fulfillment level, which is very hard. Um, uh, for others to 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 obtain, given the scale that we have and the the uh, courier network that uh, that we've built out. In addition, with uh, with roughly 150 uh, monthly users, we can provide a very attractive platform to uh, advertisers uh, to come onto the platform, advertise for the grocery business, but also potentially have access to a much broader set. So we feel good that unit economics uh, will get to a point where this is going to be a great business for us. I'll say that for 2024, while this business will not be in the black, it is going to be doing better than it was in uh, in 2023. So the um, the uh, the trajectory is going in the right direction. And then let's have Dara uh, finish up on teens before we go to our last question. Uh, on teens, as a um, uh, parent of a teen, I can tell you that Uber Teen is one of our all-time kind of favorite new products out there. Obviously, the parent has to invite the teen. Uh, to use the product. We continue to expand in a number of markets. And one thing that's very interesting in terms of uh, teen uh, is that uh, we're actually seeing the frequency of use of teens, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise, be just as high as the frequency uh, of adults. So once teens get their hand on the product um, and is a very safe product, you know, they use it every day to get around. Uh, and I think what the reason why parents really love the product is, you know, they're the ones that are inviting their teens to the product. They can rest assured that only the best drivers that are on the platform who have been there the longest, who have the best ratings, uh, uh, can pick up a teen. Um, there is automatic pen dispatch to make sure that you uh, your teen gets in the right car, that, that sometimes it is a worry. You can track your teen automatically to make sure, you know, know when they get picked up, know when they get dropped off. And you as a parent can directly contact that driver just in case you have any questions if the car stops and you're worried about it, et cetera. So the out-of-the-box tech that comes with teen, um, which is really an amalgamation of a number of safety innovations that we've led on in the industry, make it a product that has been an absolute hit. Uh, and, you know, I think we're pretty comfortable that once those teens turn into grown-ups, um, Uber is going to be their first choice for mobility. Uh, so this is a product that, you know, today is a product that is looking great in terms of frequency and customer satisfaction, but it's also a product that's designed to, to, uh, to, for growth, not just today, but tomorrow. Our final question comes from the line of Deepak Mativanen from Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Great. Um, thanks for taking the question. Dara, Upfront Fares has been live in the U.S. for a few quarters now and has definitely been a huge factor in 2023. Can you talk about you know, the opportunities to expand this into more international markets and also perhaps integrate it with the wider range of mobility products 
beyond UberX in uh, 2024. And then uh, just a follow up on the grocery side, you know, what are some of the key product initiatives for 24 for building out the grocery vertical? And do you see opportunities to accelerate product build out and maybe even retail partnerships through acquisitions? Thank you so much. Yeah, so in terms of upfront fares, we're uh, very pleased uh, with the rollout of, of upfront fares uh, in the U.S. and a number of other, other markets. And, and I'll remind um, our investors, too, that we actually originally rolled out upfront fares on the delivery side of the business. So delivery was uh, built out upfront fares in terms of couriers knowing where they're picking up, dropping off, and what the fare was going to be based on – uh, the knowledge there and kind of working on that product, we determined that this is a product that could work for mobility as well because the number one issue that drivers were asking for is, I want to know where my destination is, uh, which wasn't available. So it's just an example of the power of the platform there, which is something that we do on the delivery side and innovate on, on the delivery side, finds its way on the mobility side. And again, we were the first uh, in the U.S. to um, to debut upfront fares uh, and drivers absolutely love that uh, the destination information that, that that they're getting. I'd say on upfront fares, actually, we're less focused on launching it globally uh, as we are on tuning the product itself. Um, what you observe in terms of upfront fares now that drivers know where they're going and whether they're accepting some trips or not accepting some trips is understanding that you know, drivers are quite idiosyncratic in terms of uh, their desires. There are some drivers who want long trips, some that want short trips, some that want to go to the airport, some that, you know, don't want to go to the suburbs, et cetera. So I think that what we can do better is actually targeting of uh, different trips to different drivers based on their preferences or based on behavioral patterns uh, that they're showing us. That really is the focus going forward. Um, you know, offering the right trip at the right price to the right driver, uh, which is a win-win-win. You know, the rider wait time is lower. Uh, drivers are seeing the trips that they want at the right price, um, and the network gets more and more efficient. And I would also say that um, the nature of upfront fares, you know, you've gone from just flat time and distance to now kind of point estimates for every single trip uh, based on the driver it accrues to players who have the kind of data skills uh, and the amount of data that we have. You know, um, we have more of these point estimates. We make more of these point estimates than anyone else. We're making these point estimates both in mobility and delivery. We're doing it globally. Uh, so all things being equal, our AI algorithms are going to be able to learn more uh, and are going to be able to be more accurate than anyone else's, which is, uh, which is an advantage that over a period of time, uh, is absolutely uh, going to accrue to us. Um, in terms of grocery uh, new product uh, initiatives, you know, it's it, it again. I think the focus for us is actually continuing to build out our our merchant base. Uh, we continue to sign up new merchants uh, all over the world. Uh, you know, some of the wins uh, uh, in the U.S. were Big Lots and Sprouts uh, Farm uh, Sprout Farmer Market, uh, Italy as well. So one is just driving the choice in the marketplace. And then I do think in terms of our catalog, one of the areas that we're quite focused on is making sure that the catalog is mature and searchable. Uh, and, you know, when you search for chocolate milk, you get exactly what you're looking for. 
Uh, and and I do think that the, the searchability of the catalog and a lot of the basics that we have in, in grocery can get better and better. Uh, we're very excited about the potential there. Uh, and as we continue to add on more merchants all over the world, we think this business will continue to grow and eventually get to profitability. That concludes our question and answer session. I will now turn it back to management for closing remarks. Thank you, Krista. So thank you all for joining us today. As we wrap up the Q&A, I did want to share a quick organizational announcement. As part of career development for the exceptional finance talent here at Uber, Alex Wang, who has done an incredible job leading IR, will be expanding his scope to include some FP&A responsibilities in addition to his role in IR. And I'm delighted to announce that Deepa Subramaniam, the former CFO of our delivery business, will be expanding her scope to be the VP of IR and corporate finance. This will be a gradual transition, but I wanted to let you know that you'll be working with both of them in the coming quarters. So please join me in congratulating them both, and we appreciate your time. Look forward to talking to all of you again next week. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation, and you may now disconnect.